0: and good morning morning. i want to say a thank you and a congratulations and a welcome uh so let's do the welcome first we've got michael and adonia ray here on the screen ray family are you here this morning where no maybe they're maybe they're with us on facebook live this morning so let's just welcome them and uh we'll tell them that we cheered for them and that we welcome them this morning Uh, They're uh, announced in our bulletin also, so you can read about them in there. And by the way, while we're doing welcomes, we've got three or maybe four new members that we're welcoming in the second service also. So isn't that neat that we have people joining us here, uh, rising up in the work? that we're doing together. Uh, A thank you to Christian. I I think, I could be mistaken, but I think this is the first time that Christian has taken the responsibility to lead an entire worship service with the singing. Second time to do the whole service. Uh, Okay, second time to do the whole service, but still, thank you. You're doing an excellent job, and thank you, Christian. We really appreciate you. That's right. And uh, just one other one, congratulations. Uh, Yesterday, there was an amazing new event called the Intentional Womanhood Event. And it was out at the Newsom Family Farm. Uh, For a couple of years, there has been an intentional manhood event where they've done wonderful things with young men from the church. And this year, they were able to kick off the Intentional Womanhood event, and they had over 50 participants out there, a bunch of our young ladies, and moms and other, uh, I guess there were some dads out there, and there was just other uh, mentors out there with them, learning all of these different life skills and thinking and dreaming about how they can impact the kingdom of God together. Isn't that cool? Just really neat things that are going on here. So congratulations for making that happen, and thank you. Uh, Today, we find our text is from Joel chapter 2. And what Michael just read to us is a prophecy from the Old Testament, and uh, as it's called, or from the Hebrew Bible. And it's from this prophet that lived in the ancient world of Israel. And these prophecies are almost always given in poetry. So what we just read, what we just heard read, is a poem that tells the truth about what God is doing And sometimes when we hear the word prophecy, we think that it just means telling the future. And that's actually not what prophecy means, although prophecy often does involve telling about the future. Prophecy means saying the truth about what God is doing in the world. And in this case, it is a prophecy that tells the truth about the future because it's telling the truth of what God was going to do for the people of Israel when he restored them from being in exile they had rebelled against God Uh, for those of you who grew up reading the Bible and all of its great stories and you kind of know the story arc of the Bible you know that the people of God often rebelled against God and that because they rebelled against him he allowed them to come under foreign oppression the people were taken off as captives to other nations and they were crying out to God wanting to know what he was going to do about it and so through the mouth of the prophet Joel. God spoke these words that we just heard. And I would like to uh, read them again. Uh, I'm going to read them a second time, but this time I'm going to read them from Acts chapter 2. And it is a quote of the prophet Joel that is made by Peter at the feast of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. After he and the other disciples of Jesus had been waiting in Jerusalem for weeks to see what God was going to do, Jesus had told his followers that they needed to go wait in the city until they would receive instructions. And so they had been waiting. They had been waiting for the opportunity to rise up and say some things about Jesus. They had been waiting for the opportunity to engage the world With the kingdom of heaven that Jesus had shared with them. And to rise up and do something about it. But for a while they were supposed to just sit and wait. And so they waited and they waited until this moment. In Acts 2 when Peter quotes Joel. So Joel had given the poem that was about the future. And now Peter's going to say today is the day. That the long awaited promise from that poem comes true. So let me read it again from Acts 2. I'm in Acts 2 verse 17 if you want to follow along. And today we're going to read this little piece of poetry that is prophecy and then we're going to try to make uh, two points from it. One that's kind of long, uh, but not too long, just kind of long. And then one that's very, very short. Okay, So which one do you want me to give first, the long one or the short one? You don't get to choose. You're not the preacher. I'll choose. We're doing the long one first, and then we'll do the short one. Okay. So let me, read, let me read the piece of poetic prophecy again from Acts 2. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Dreams. Will be saved. Now, growing up, Church of Christ, as I did, Acts 2 was one of the f- favorite and most famous passages to hear preaching and teaching from. Uh, I'm curious how many of you remember hearing sermons from your young days on up from Acts 2. Uh, sermons like about how the people were cut to the heart and Peter told them, Repent and be baptized. Anybody remember hearing sermons like that? Hands up high and proud if you grew up hearing those kind of things. I think almost all of us, maybe even if you came from a different church background, have heard over our lives a lot of sermons from this chapter, especially from the end of this sermon. But maybe we haven't heard as many sermons as we need to from the beginning of this sermon, this part of poetry that we just read. This is the passage of Scripture like the Old Testament scripture, yes, the Hebrew Bible, but divinely inspired scripture that was given in advance by Joel in a time of, of terrible rebellion against God when the world was not paying attention to God and his ways. And even the people of God were far from paying attention to him. That this was a piece of poetic prophecy that was given of a hope That there would be a time when all the world would pay attention to the Lord again. And when God would pour out his Holy Spirit in a fresh new way on everybody who was willing to call him the Lord. And when Peter begins uh, answering the question, and this is funny if you read earlier in Acts 2, because the Spirit had come on them and they were speaking in different languages, they call it speaking in tongues, they're speaking in these different languages, and people recognize it. The people think they're drunk because they've never seen anything like this before. They're like, look at those brothers over there. It's not even lunch, and they're wasted. And Peter has to counter that. He stands up and he says, no, 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 it's not what you think. This is prophecy fulfilled. This is hope restored. This is scripture living and breathing. And he quotes the prophet Joel. And he says, today is the day that it begins. So when the church began by the prompting of the Holy Spirit to rise up and share Jesus in the world and begin the world missions movement, this is the scripture that starts it all. It's from Joel chapter 2, quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2. And from this scripture, he begins to teach them about how Jesus had to come into the world and suffer and be betrayed and murdered and that we were all complicit in it so that our hearts would break over what we had done to God when he came into the world and we would ask the critical question, what should we do? And when people ask, what should we do? Peter gives them the most wonderful response because they don't have to pay penitence. They just have to show repentance. And there's a wide chasm between penitence and repentance. Penitence means you've got to work off your debt. Repentance means you change your mind about God and who he is and what he's doing, and you trust him. And the people are told to repent, and they're told to be baptized. Baptized which everyone can do, old and young, man and woman. Jews can do it. Greeks can do it. Everyone can do it. And they're promised that if they will, that they'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Just like Joel had said, the Spirit would be poured out on everyone. And so today we want to look at two points that have to do with the Holy Spirit being poured out on everyone and how that is part of rising up for world missions. And then next week, we're going to look at the third and final point. And so this week, we're going to do it in these two ways. We're going to look at a couple of short stories, vignettes from the New Testament that cover the lives of about 20 individuals, but I'll only have the chance to maybe comment on a dozen or, or less. So, the the long point today is about 20 vignettes in the life of people that the Holy Spirit had come upon. The second short point this week is about the Holy Spirit himself. And next week, when we have our final missions offering, and we pray and commit all of our pledges for next year to God's work, and we rise up as a church to meet the goal John was talking about, And help further the work in the world we'll hear the story of one individual whose life was radically transformed from unworthy to worthy by an encounter with Jesus and he called out to the Lord for help and he was heard so today 20 stories and then one story and next week one story everybody with me you on board amen here we go let's look at the way that the Holy Spirit was poured out in the church in the lives of 20 or so daughters. 20 or so daughters. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, when Peter quotes Joel, he says, all people. And in quoting Joel too faithfully, he quotes what the Hebrew text said that both your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And then in verse 18, he says, even on my servants, both men and women. And this is no trick of a modern Bible translation that is trying to be gender inclusive. This is literal, original Hebrew and Greek, that the Holy Spirit of God is for all people, men and women, and that they're both called to rise up and call on the name of the Lord and to do what he's prepared for them to do. We see this happen in the New Testament for these daughters in remarkable ways. Sometimes it seems that these stories may be stories we have forgotten to tell. Let me cover a few of them for us this morning. In Acts chapter 9, as the message is beginning to spread further outside of jerusalem and around the world we find peter in the city of joppa he's been called there because an important person has died and the person is named tabitha she's a woman who's known for doing good deeds for making clothes for feeding many people and she's touched the lives of so many that when she passes it seems as if they can't imagine life going on without her tabitha is raised from the dead by peter in acts chapter 9 and she has the prestigious place in scripture of being the only woman in the new testament who is called directly a disciple The same word that was used about the people that Jesus called to follow him around Galilee and learn from him. Tabitha is called in Acts 9. We don't know all of the ways that she acted out discipleship in her life. But we know that when Tabitha rose up to the call of God, people paid attention. And that when she fell into death, They called for a prophet, for a miracle worker, to come and to raise her back and restore her to her place because she was needed. In Acts chapter 16, we find Paul stepping foot in Europe for the first time in his ministry. He can't find a synagogue to go and to teach in because there's not yet been one established there. So he goes to the river to pray, and he finds a group of women gathered. One of these daughters of God is named Lydia. She is a God-fearer. She's heard about the Lord. She's calling on the name of the Lord. But until the time when the Joel 2 prophecy was fulfilled, no one was saying to Lydia that the Spirit of God was for her. And here comes Paul and his companions into Europe, and they meet Lydia And she wants to know, am I acceptable too? So she's baptized. And she says to them, if I've now found favor with you, if I'm in, come to my house. And as far as we know, the first house church in Europe from Paul's ministry is in the house of Lydia. In chapter 18 of Acts, we find two important Bible teachers that are training another somewhat well-educated person in the truth about Jesus. They're telling the truth about God. These two people are Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife team. And it's important in the text of Scripture, especially in Luke, that Priscilla is named first because Luke tends to name people in order of prominence. So he says that this man, Apollos, who was a powerful teacher about Jesus, didn't yet know everything he needed to know, and Priscilla and Aquila took him into their home and taught him more accurately the ways about Jesus. In chapter 21 of Acts, we see that the Spirit being poured out is continuing to do remarkable things on the daughters of Philip, four of them, still unmarried, and it simply says they prophesied. I wonder how proud Philip was as a father when he saw that the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, even in spoken ministry, was happening for one of the first times in the world through his own children. Any parent or grandparent of a girl who is faithful to the Lord knows exactly what that feeling is like the pride of seeing God work through your daughters. All of these are in the book of Acts trailing after this great proclamation in chapter 2 that the Spirit would fall on everyone. I could preach today about how the Spirit of God fell on Gentiles and how surprising that was, like Cornelius from Acts chapter 9 or the Ethiopian eunuch. But I've preached some of those sermons previously and I'll preach them again later. Let's move on to the next book of the New Testament, Romans. Because we'll see that this work the Spirit began continues to show up in surprising ways. In Romans chapter 16, when it seems that Paul has exhausted all of his theological wrestling and his big ideas, he sends his greetings to the churches in Rome. And he names people like Phoebe, who he calls a diaconon. Now, this is an important moment in Romans and in the Scripture at large because when he calls her a diaconon, he does not call her a servant or a deaconess. He uses the exact same term that was used of people like Timothy and Paul and Jesus himself that's usually translated minister in the New Testament. And the point is not whether it's translated minister or deacon or even servant. They all mean the same thing. To pretend that one translation of the word is more important than another would be like to act that because I'm your preacher you need to like call me like Minister Josh or whatever. Right? The only person that calls me that is the imposter that keeps trying to text you and get gift cards from the church. <laughs> I really don't care what you call me. What's important is that I'm a servant of the Lord, that I've called on the name of the Lord. And this is what is important about Phoebe She gets the same word, the same title, no matter how important the title is that some of the other people get because of the work she's doing in the church. She's a servant of the church in Centuria, and she's also called a prostatus, a benefactor, if you will. It literally means the person who stands in front or the person who stands before And whatever she had done in her ministry by the Holy Spirit to rise up, she was standing in front of many faithful people who were also enacting their mission as they were called by the Holy Spirit and who could honestly look back and say, the reason that we are here today and able to do this ministry is because Phoebe stood before us and helped it to happen. Paul even says, she has played that role for me. And he gives her the honor of carrying the letter of Romans to the church in Rome, and almost certainly of being the first one to read it to them. The next names we find in Romans 16 include Priscilla again with her husband Aquila, and they're called fellow workers. Mary is pointed out as being a hard worker. Junius, along with her husband Andronicus, are called apostles. And there's a long story and a dirty history to this one. But it was buried, it was stolen from the church by a decision from Greek manuscript editors in the early 19th century to change her name to a man's name with no ancient world evidence because they simply couldn't stomach that she would have been called an apostle. And now the history is out and people are aware, again, whatever the title means, missionary, one who is sent, she's given Important work by the Holy Spirit. Trophina and Trephosa, these sisters that are probably twins are mentioned, they're also called hard workers. And we got Rufus's mom, whoever she was, and Julia and Nerus's sister. Ten out of the 27 names that are greeted in Romans 16, over a third are these faithful women who by the Holy Spirit's power have risen up to serve in the ways that God has sent them. The next book in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we find that Chloe has a church in her house. In chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, we find that women are praying and prophesying in public. They're instructed to do it with their heads covered so they won't scandalize the world. But they're not silenced. They're praying and they're prophesying. In chapter 16, we find again Priscilla This most notable woman teacher who is mentioned as sending her greetings to the church in Corinth because of the relationship that she has with them. You see, what we're doing when we read the Bible in this way is we're simply stating what the Bible is for. There has been a great theft in the American church. And the theft occurred whenever the enemy, whatever dark powers are behind this satanic influence, began to get the church to talk more about what it was against than what it was for. And churches got so distracted by talking about things like women's roles and whether there are any. Well, let's put that aside for a moment today and simply say what we are for. We are for what the Bible is for. We've always been the people of the Bible who do Bible things in Bible ways, and these are Bible people doing Bible things. Maybe we need some humility to admit that we don't know all of the things that they did, and to admit that we don't know how what we are for got stolen from us. But we want to reclaim it. Were the people who are for the Bible. Philippians 4, and we preached through Philippians all this summer, we find Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, when we covered the text from Philippians 4 this summer, where Euodia and Syntyche are mentioned, the scripture was read in our scripture reading, but they weren't mentioned in the sermon. And when we finished Philippians, I told you there was a story from that book that we would come back to and cover later this fall, and today is that day. Euodia and Syntyche are the main recipients of the letter to the Philippians. Paul writes it, his joyous letter of thanksgiving for the gift that is sent because in the prison they have rescued him and remembered him when he was forgotten. But no one is called out by name until we get to chapter 4 and Euodia and Syntyche are in the main foreground of the letter. We don't know what they did, but we know that they rose up to answer the Holy Spirit's call. Because the conflict between these two sisters was so important, the rest of the church needed to surround them and help make sure that they could figure it out. In this chapter, Paul says, Euodia and Syntyche have struggled in the gospel with me. It's a very simple Greek sentence. It's not confusing. It's not hard to understand. He says that they, they have been wrestling, and he uses the noun for the good news, in the good news with me. Now, in American culture, we have had this bad habit of calling everything that we think is the right way of doing church by the first name gospel. So bad preaching is false preaching, and good preaching is gospel preaching. And false teachers are false teachers, and good teachers are gospel preachers. We have co-opted the word gospel to mean, I approve of that. But in the first century world, it didn't mean, I approve of that. It meant having to do with the good news of Jesus. And Euodia and Syntyche have wrestled with Paul in the gospel. Not just even alongside it, not even just for it, not even just feeding the people that are talking about it, but they've wrestled in the actual gospel itself, which is very strangely like the kind of phrases and words that Paul uses for other ministers all throughout the New Testament. And then he says to them, they've done it just like Clement and the other co-workers and their names are written in the book of life and we've forgotten to tell their stories. In Colossians 4 Nympha also has a church in her house just like Chloe and Lydia and then there's the little letter of 2 John. Maybe um, the most condemning piece of evidence of all that we've forgotten to tell these stories about what the Holy Spirit is doing. The little letter of 2 John is written and addressed to the chosen lady It's an entire epistle in the New Testament That's written to a woman And because the church has had trouble Stomaching that many times And in many places And most Bible commentaries Simply say something like Well that is probably figurative language For the church And we know the church is a chosen woman Figuratively The church is the bride of Christ But no one actually has evidence to say that when John wrote 2 John, that he meant it figuratively. When he wrote his other letters, he didn't do that. He addressed it literally. 1 John is literal. 3 John is literal. And there's a lot of literal Bible readers in the world who read all of the Bible literally until they get to 2 John, and then they say, This now, this is figurative. It couldn't have been written to a daughter. These are just some, maybe 20 people in the New Testament, whose stories have been silenced because they haven't been told. And for my short point today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, who is the God for people everywhere that have been silenced, because the Holy Spirit has been silenced too. The Holy Spirit is the main foregrounded, image of God in the prophecy in Joel 2 I will pour my spirit out on all people in Acts 2 when the gospel movement for the world begins it is the Holy Spirit leading the way he throws Jesus into the wilderness to begin his ministry and he throws the church into the world to begin theirs and somewhere along the way a second lie was told and the church bit and that was the Holy Spirit finished the New Testament and he finished his work It was his seventh day, creation was over, and he rested. And it doesn't show up in the New Testament. Instead, for the second point, maybe consider this. Try to read a chapter of the New Testament where the Holy Spirit doesn't show up. Try to look for a page in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit and his work isn't mentioned. Starting with Acts 2, move through your Bibles through the next couple of months in the year and mark or write down every time the Holy Spirit is mentioned or the Holy Spirit's work is clearly being done because somewhere else it says this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Like in Galatians, when the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, if any of these are showing up in the Scripture, circle it and mark, the Holy Spirit is at work. He didn't stop because they stopped writing. He's still at work. And if any of you have learned love at all in your Christian journey, then underline and highlight those sections of your personal diaries and write in there the Holy Spirit is still at work. This is the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that's alive in you. Let me ask you, do you want him to stop from his work or do you want him to finish his work? This is the same Holy Spirit that in the last chapter of the Bible says, come. To the lost and broken world, it is the spirit and the figurative woman, the bride, that say, come. And why are they standing, holding hands, this woman and this spirit, in the last chapter of Revelation and bidding a broken world to come to Jesus because both of them know what it's like to be shushed. When Tabitha is raised from the dead in Acts chapter 9, Peter comes to her breaks through the crust of all of the mourners that are surrounding her room, and he gets in there where they've laid her body and they've washed her. They've prepared her for burial. And he takes her, and he says, Tabitha. And in the New American translation of the Bible, which isn't necessarily any better than any other version of the Bible, it just happens to match what's on these posters, he says, Tabitha, rise. And along with her rise all of the daughters of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And together, those of us that are figuratively women because we're the bride of Christ, and those of you who are literally women have been given the Holy Spirit to call a broken and dying world to meet Jesus. And the world needs you. Let's rise up. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen? Amen. Today, as we offer our invitation, we want you to be thinking about a couple of simple things. As the Holy Spirit put on your heart to give, to serve, to go, to contribute somehow to this mission that began with the Holy Spirit's call, and what is he calling you to do? Respond in your heart to the pull of the Holy Spirit who's still alive. Listen to the scripture with your mind and your heart and your whole being. Love God with all that you are and love the people in his world as well. And let's pray together about how he's calling us to do it and how we can contribute as we rise up in missions. Let's stand.